Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. I know who the Freedom Caucus's mystery secret speaker candidate is. It's George Santos, right? It's got to be. Who better typifies? Who better speaks for the Republican Party of 2023? I mean, any Republican can lie to all of the people some of the time and lie to some of the people all of the time. But only George Santos can lie to all of the people all of the time. Okay, maybe not. But trust me, if George Santos survives without going to prison here or abroad, and Brazil has just revived its prosecution of him, George Santos will become a Republican leader of some kind, because electability and survival are the only things that party values. For now, somebody else is there to either jock block Kevin McCarthy or make McCarthy prostitute himself utterly to the Matt Gateses of this world. Think about it. Tuesday began with absolute certainty on the part of McCarthy's supporters that he would somehow prevail, and equally absolute certainty by at least nine and as many as 18 of his opponents that he would be thwarted. It was insurrectionist Congressman Andy Biggs who tweeted yesterday, the left has taken control of our institutions, leadership of both parties have facilitated the takeover of them, and now when America first Republicans have a chance to effectuate change, even our own are fighting that, the speaker's race tomorrow will be revolutionary. One could infer that means 
The out-of-the-box nominee is from the ranks. I'm telling you, give Santos a chance. Or it could mean a nominee who is not serving in the House, and the Speaker does not have to be a House member. As much as the QAnon types would like that to be Trump, he would never accept the demotion, no matter how desperate for attention his recent behavior has confirmed he really is. If there really is a non-serving candidate, it would have to be one of these jackasses who are seen in the funhouse mirror version of America that Republicans collectively hallucinate to be a heroic leader, indefatigable fighter, and political sage. You know, Tucker Carlson or Mike Lindell, or General Flynn, or the dead body of Ronald Reagan. That would be revolutionary. Or maybe by revolutionary, Biggs means not the nominee, but the process, since these clowns have proved again and again that they discern no difference between failure and success, as long as whatever happens is coated with the fine marinade of chaos. For his part, Speaker Presumptive McCarthy Monday underscored the presumptive part, moving his stuff into the Speaker's office. One assumes he has never heard that hackneyed political cliche about measuring the office curtains. But then again, if he doesn't get elected Speaker, the image of them moving all his furniture back out of the office will be the least of his problems. Only McCarthy and these Republicans could have turned their shocking triumphs of 2016 into the self-destruction of 2020 and this inability to coalesce and take the win in 2022 and 2023. They represent the twin problems with endless ideological purity tests and politics as the universal solvent. Administer enough purity tests to any group and eventually you will have to expel everybody. The French Revolution should have taught us that. And as much as the universal solvent is a political dream come true for the insurrectionist, dissolve precedent, dissolve seniority, dissolve hierarchy, eventually you come to realize that once you pour the universal solvent out, you can never stop it. It will keep on dissolving stuff, even the things you don't want it to dissolve. Because, of course, you cannot store the universal solvent in anything. The universal solvent will dissolve whatever you've stored it in. So that's how Kevin McCarthy finds himself on the day the Republicans take back the House on the verge of not getting elected speaker, or at least not getting elected speaker on the first ballot or ballots, because he might lose to a mystery candidate the personification of none of the above. I'm telling you, Santos for speaker. Since we last discussed George Santos, it turned out that the Brazilians had only abandoned their prosecution of him 14 years ago for allegedly stealing checkbooks belonging to people for whom his mother was a caregiver because they could not find him. Here again, another problem with lying your way into Congress. There goes your anonymity. The prosecutor's office in Rio de Janeiro said yesterday it will now revive its fraud charges against Santos and could proceed with or without his presence in Brazil, which he might be a citizen of, or a native of, or for all we know, a senator of. There are new lies to add to your Santos file. Collect the complete set. He claimed to have gotten COVID before anybody else in New York and to have had a difficult recovery because of a brain tumor he had. And he told a boyfriend that he had bought them two tickets to Hawaii, only it turned out that there were no tickets to Hawaii. Oh, and the boyfriend's cell phone was suddenly missing, and the boyfriend believed Santos had pawned it. 
Somebody suggested to me Santos has pretty much checked all the lying boxes possible, except maybe for lying that he's trans. I might add, he also has not yet lied that he was dead, but he got better. Speaking of lying and neurosis, if not psychosis, you may have missed Steve Bannon and the, no, really, this is our last set of transcripts, we swear, dump from the January 6th committee. There are several absolutely insane revelations in these parting salvos from Benny Thompson and company, and you have to admit that whatever the motive was for holding them all till the last minute, they also served to obscure the Republican takeover of the House today. For my money, the craziest is, as usual, Steve Bannon and his plan for a second coup on January 21st, 2021. Quote, we must turn up the heat Bannon texted to his spokesperson, according to the committee's evidence, on January 8th. Trump, Bannon added, was, quote, not staying in the White House after the 20th, but who says we don't have one million people the next day? I'd surround the Capitol in total silence. You know, Steve Bannon might not be the nihilist political genius a lot of people still think he is. On the other hand, He did get one thing right about Trump supporters the day after Joe Biden's inauguration. They did give Bannon that total silence he was hoping for. And Katrina Pearson, also not exactly the sharpest tool in the shed, was nice enough to write an email on January 2nd with bullet points on the original coup. And point number four helpfully reads... Quote, POTUS expectations are to have something intimate at the ellipse and call on everyone to march to the Capitol, which blows the Trump spontaneity defense out of the water. And of course, Ronna McDaniel helpfully notating that her Republican National Committee was joining John Eastman in organizing the fake electors scheme and told Trump personally, directly, twice that they were doing so. And he replied to her, quote, just great. So Trump is screwed about that as well. Tony Ornato, Secret Service agent turned Trump administration deputy chief of staff turned Secret Service again somehow, testified that the service missed that one of the guys on a White House tour on December 12, 2020, was none other than Enrique Tarrio, chairman of the ironically named Proud Boys. And then there's Cleta Mitchell. By the way, when was the last time you actually met anybody named Cleta? Cleta Mitchell explained to the January 6th committee that, quote, there's nothing in the Constitution about allowing people, citizens, to vote on electors. And it's funny, none of them mentioned that in 2000, right? And the committee's final info dump showed that Trump, before he began to hemorrhage GOP support in the waning days of last year by railing against the Supreme Court's decision on Roe v. Wade and by posting an article from a fascist website foretelling a Trump third party run in 2024. Trump had one last grift, according to the 1-6 committee, ready to go in the days before the 2020 election. He wanted to trademark and own the rights to the phrase rigged election. Yes, sir. It's Coup Incorporated, a division of the Trump Organization. I am suddenly reminded of Terry Gilliam's dark, dark, dark satirical film Brazil. Ironic title at the moment. The future police state seizes the wrong man, tortures that man to death, and then sends the widow a bill. Rigged election. Trademark. 
But of course, as the speaker election and George Santos dramas play out today, and perhaps for weeks to come if we're lucky, there is one nugget from the January 6th committee's list of parting gifts to America that seems to resonate particularly strongly. I guess it is noteworthy because it is the only glimmer of self-awareness in the bottomless pit of delusions of grandeur that was the Trump administration, but it's still self-obsessed self-awareness. That nitwit Hope Hicks, as they were still sweeping up broken glass and sedating nervous congressmen on the afternoon of January 6th, texting the chief of staff to Ivanka Trump and realizing that this little try to overthrow the government by attacking the Capitol thing was going to look bad on her resume. You've heard the quote, all of us that didn't have jobs lined up will be perpetually unemployed. I'm so mad and upset. We all look like domestic terrorists now. Yeah. Say, Hope, uh, thinking about uh, McCarthy and the Freedom Caucus and Santos and Bannon and the fake electors and Trump trying to trademark rigged election. When you say we all look like domestic terrorists now... What do you mean now? Still ahead, why did Trump try to claim a deduction in 2015 for expenses for a football team he bankrupted in 1985? Worst persons, if I told you a New York State County Election Commissioner had pleaded guilty to voter fraud and absentee ballot harvesting, could you guess which party he belongs to? And in things I promise not to tell, it worked out okay, but next Monday it'll be 40 years since I had one last look out my apartment window before going to sleep, and that's when I noticed the building was on fire. The story of Keith and the Molotov cocktail. That's next. This is Countdown. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. Still ahead on Countdown, how do you spell Delaware? More importantly, how do you become White House Press Secretary if you can't spell Delaware? Worst persons in a moment. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day. Polo is 38 pounds. Excitable, not fixed, not trained, one year old. A puppy who nipped a family member who needed a Band-Aid to fix the problem. So they took him to the New York Pound to be killed which could happen as early as tomorrow because nobody taught him not to do that. He looks like a collie mix of some kind, a beautiful light brown, almost orange coat. He needs pledges to help defray the costs for a rescue organization to save his life. You can find Polo on my Twitter feeds, and if you can't pledge, your retweet can also help him out. I thank you, and Polo thanks you. This is SportsCenter. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, we wish the best to the great Martina Navratilova, who revealed yesterday she has been diagnosed with both throat cancer and breast cancer. The winner of 18 Grand Slam singles championships and a giving and cherished friend to my various programs for 30 years now. She says her prognosis is good. Quote, it's going to stink for a while, but I'll fight it with all I've got, which is how she is here in the first place. Boston Bruins 2, Pittsburgh Penguins 1 in the annual outdoor hockey game at Fenway Park. As much as I am a hockey fan, and you probably are not, I never see one of these without thinking there's something fundamentally wrong with it. The National Hockey League puts a game in a baseball stadium or a football stadium, if you go... No matter how good your seats are, you can't see a damn thing. It's a hockey rink filling up like a third of the field, and there's all this blank space, and it's freezing, and the lighting is bad, and the ice is often bad. The league dresses up its two teams in uniforms that look vaguely like their regular ones, but not really, and vaguely like the ones they wore decades ago, but not really. It's not like a novelty anymore. There have been like three dozen of these outdoor games. I mean, maybe play your all-star game outdoors in a big stadium to try to give it some heft. But regular season games? Still? Still making a big deal about this? And the worst part is, the thing that always throws me, the National Hockey League gets its biggest crowds only when it plays in the stadiums of other sports? 
The Athletic reports that after its loss in the Fiesta Bowl Saturday, Michigan may now lose its head coach, that if offered an NFL job, Jim Harbaugh will take it. Maybe at Denver, maybe with the Colts. He went to the Super Bowl one year coaching the 49ers, but to me, Jim Harbaugh will always be the guy I operated on in a SportsCenter commercial. It was about anchors getting too close to the players. And they started with Dan Patrick at Jim Harbaugh's knee surgery, and he turned and says, let's take a look, and he walks into the operating theater where the surgeon is me. And Harbaugh delivered his line perfectly. Shouldn't I be asleep for this? And Dan and I then say, ew, simultaneously, and I say, that'll happen. And that's the end of it. So Dan has always insisted that he saw Harbaugh's carry bag sitting next to our set during the making of this commercial. I didn't. Dan says it, it contained a bunch of magazines that were devoted to uh, devoted to um, anatomy. That's it. Anatomy. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Lastly, this, the 379th most important thing gleaned from the release of Donald Trump's tax returns. In 2015, Trump claimed he spent $12,000 on expenses related to the New Jersey Generals of the United States Football League, the league in which he, Trump, had Herschel Walker playing for him on the New Jersey Generals. The league he, Trump, personally killed in 1985 because he insisted on moving it to a fall schedule to compete with the NFL, even though it had a chance to succeed in its original niche in the spring. Anyway, I think I know what that 12 grand that he tried to deduct in 2015, 30 years after the league went out of business, was for. I think it was the last payment on Herschel's leather helmet. Thank you again, Nancy Faust. Still ahead, we near the anniversary, the 40th anniversary of the day I had a singular experience, looking out my apartment window and noticing the apartment building was on fire. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. Everybody was okay, by the way, except the lobby. The bronze to New York Assembly member Donna Lupardo. As the 2023 Assembly session begins, we'll see if she can work her way off this list or if she is still, as dog advocate Nathan Winograd asserts, blocking the Shelter Animal Rescue Act, Sarah, from even coming to a vote in the New York Assembly. The bill would make it illegal for shelters in New York State to kill an animal if a qualified nonprofit rescue was willing to save and take that animal. Similar laws have been passed in California and Delaware and in many cities and counties. It is believed such a law saved 85,000 animals in California alone each year. But Assemblywoman Lopardo is the chair of the Assembly Agriculture Committee, and she can block such a bill and has. Apart from the fact that New York Democrats are pretty much lost in their own little world of incompetence, they are also heavily lobbied by, and Winograd says, they even receive campaign funds from groups like the ASPCA and the Humane Society. Those are brand names, by the way. Those two groups have repeatedly come out against the no-kill bill. Get to it, Assemblywoman. 
The bronze goes to why another New York State politico, Jason T. Schofield, the Republican Elections Commissioner of Rensselaer County, whose attorney general, or whose attorney rather, revealed that he is changing his plea and Elections Commissioner Schofield will plead guilty to... Any guesses? Hints, Republican Elections Commissioner? That's right. Schofield will plead guilty to federal felony charges of voter fraud and absentee ballot harvesting because when Republicans say there's voter fraud and absentee ballot harvesting, it is not an accusation, it's a confession. Schofield has flipped. He is helping the FBI try to nail others in this case, and while it's unclear if he will go to jail, it is clear that as part of the plea, he has to quit his job as elections commissioner, Republican elections commissioner, Republican voter fraud ballot harvesting elections commissioner. But our winner is Sean Spicer. There are no doubt worse worms in this country, and there are worse scumbags from the Trump administration, but he was the first. And despite the attempt to wash him clean by putting him on the Emmys and putting him on Dancing with the Has-Beens, he's still exactly that bad. As you know, people like Spicer exist solely to find Republican crooks and crookedness and then claim the Democrats did it worse. See Elections Commissioner Schofield of New York. Hence, Spicer yesterday retweeted a story implying that Joe Biden is on vacation all the time. Gee, I wonder who they're trying to apply whataboutism to there. Spicer added, quote, in 2022, President Biden spent 92 days at one of his Delaware properties. And he misspelled Delaware. Spicer spelled it D-E-L-E as opposed to the way, you know, everybody else spells it. D-E-L-A where? Or at least how everybody who was ever White House press secretary spelled it. Or at least everybody who has any shred of concern for accuracy. Or at least not being thought of as an uneducated, slovenly, sloppy, unqualified, moronic, bitter, nitwitted schlub who was once referred to in his own college's newspaper as, quote, Sean Sphincter, unquote. Sean Delaware, you know, the first state to approve the Constitution. The Constitution my boss tried to rip up. Spicer today's worst person that's spelled p-e-r-s-o-n in the world enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at betmgm signing up and playing is so easy simply sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with betmgm you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with betmgm at your fingertips every play and every game matter more than ever place your money line prop and parlay bets with a king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. To the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell. And circumstances the other day took me past my first New York City apartment. And as always, when that happens in the winter, I stopped and stood and stared and I shook my head. And again, I saw in my mind the flames and the glow and the blackened lobby. Because one night, somebody threw a Molotov cocktail into the building in which I had my first New York City apartment while I was in my first New York City apartment. The address was, and is, 240 East 55th Street, apartment 10F. It was two doors west of 2nd Avenue, south side of the street. It was the center apartment on the street side of the building, and I was directly above the front entrance and above the only thing of note in the whole place, a full-fledged, old-fashioned New York City apartment building canopy. You could get out of a cab in a rainstorm and under that canopy in like a second and a half and pretty much not get wet. No doorman, no amenities, rather dubious live-in super, but it had that canopy. I moved in on June 17, 1980. It was a big studio apartment. The view was of a big video warehouse across the street, though if you leaned out the westernmost window, you could see the Citicorp Center, which was always an impressive sight on a foggy night. The neighborhood and the building were safe and quiet. At least I thought they were safe. It was a 15-minute walk from my first job and then a 25-minute walk from my second job. And when I first rented there, it was, are you ready? $483 a month, which sounds unbelievable, except that was about a third of my salary. And I think when I moved out in 1984, the rent had gone up to $510 a month. And that low price might have had something to do with the fact that one night somebody threw a Molotov cocktail into the building. You know how once you've been in any place for any length of time, you get used to the physics of it, the feel of it? Not just some place you live, any place you spend a lot of time in, an office, a classroom, a theater, or an apartment. You know what it sounds like. You know what it feels like in the summer or how it feels differently in the winter. You know what it looks like. The building noise, the smells, if it's too hot, if it's too cold, and especially, and think about this for a second, especially what the light looks like at every hour of the day. I don't know if there was a day when I could have said, this is what the light looks like in apartment 10F, 240 East 55th Street during a snowstorm, or what the light looks like coming in through the shades at 8 in the morning or 8 at night, but it probably didn't take long. June 1980 was when I moved in. I bet I knew the various lights of the place by September. 
So by New Year's of 1983, I knew it all instinctively, exactly, reflexively, boringly. I would go to my bed in the southeast corner of my studio apartment. I'd get in sleeping north-south, but with my head at the south end. And as I lay on my back, I could look out the windows and see the faint orangey glow from a couple of streetlights that shone through the four windows that opened, two on either side of a kind of small picture window in the middle. The light would be brightest from the window on the farthest right, which was the one closest to Second Avenue and the closest to one of those streetlights. So on Sunday, January 9th, 1983, as that night turned into Monday, January 10th, 1983, I hit the sack around midnight because I actually had one of those rare nine to five jobs in television as a field reporter for CNN. I shut off the light on my nightstand, I laid down on my back, I stared out my right-hand window, and immediately I thought, boy, the light is slightly more orange than it should be. What the hell's wrong? I'm guessing it was no more than 5 or 10% different from usual, but as I've gone to such lengths to point out, if you see the same light through the same window in all conceivable conditions almost every night for more than two years... Five or ten percent difference is a lot. I think I lay there trying to figure it out for a minute or so when I realized it was now ten or fifteen percent different. Cleverly, I got up and went to the window and rolled up the shade and looked down to that canopy ten floors below, and I must say, to my credit, I quickly discerned that the canopy was on fire. I reacted as almost everybody does, Matter-of-factly thinking, maybe even saying out loud, Hey, the canopy is on fire. And then registering the fact that the fire had already burned through the building end of that canopy, and it was moving quickly outwards, towards the street. Suggesting, again, I must say, I figured this out for myself. Suggesting that there was probably a fire in the lobby. I put a robe on over my pajamas, I put on some shoes, I grabbed my wallet and my keys, and I ventured into the hallway. No smell of smoke, which I took, again, intelligently, as a good sign. Two elevators were staring me in the face, but I knew better than to try them. I was, after all, the grandson of a firefighter. So I opened the stairwell, and then I smelled the smoke. Faint, but it was there. I went down two floors, and every step I took, the smell got a little stronger. I went back up. I went back into my apartment. I did not really know what I was going to do. Needless to say, 10 floors is not jumpable. Also, there was no outdoor fire escape like in many of the New York City older apartment buildings. And even if I went down the elevator or the stairs or the side of the damned building, I would wind up right in the middle of the fire. For a few seconds, I really didn't know what to do next. Me, the grandson of the man who was not only a firefighter, but who drove the hook and ladder. Irony. Also, fire. That's when the sound of the fire engines broke me out of self-absorption and cheered me, I must say, considerably. They parked right near where that convenient canopy used to be, but was now pretty much a charred hunk of the metal framing and a little burned fabric. I'm sure you've seen a fire. Maybe you've seen firefighters arrive at one and get going with their amazing speed. But there is something different in seeing it from the vantage point of being above the fire. First, there is an extraordinary amount of water, then a lot of smoke, 
then an almost unstoppable instinct to say, cool. And then you go and check the stairwell again and joyfully inhale the smell of stuff that had been on fire, but was now no longer on fire and just inundated with water. Hallelujah. I waited until after they left before I decided to go back to my bed. I did not feel the need to add to whatever loud chaos was going on in the lobby, or what had been the lobby, nor to get any details about the fire other than the key one, which was, it's out! But in the morning, since I had to go to work anyway, I saw the elevator door open onto the little linoleum-covered landing in the lobby and saw that everything else but it in the lobby was jet black. They were still hosing some of it down. They were already pulling up burned carpet, installing new windows and doors, and carting away what was left of the canopy, and it was evident that as thorough a job as had been done there, nothing else in the building had burned. Nothing. In the days and weeks to come, the other residents, knowing I worked in news, clued me in on the rumors and asked me to check them out. There was a dispute, somebody said, involving the owner. There was something about a woman. No, there was nothing about a woman. But all of them, every story, every rumor included the obvious. That was no boating accident. Somebody had thrown a Molotov cocktail into or against our front door. And then there was the best of the stories, borne out or at least lent plausibility by the rapidity with which the firefighters arrived, which, thinking back on it, was no more than three or four minutes after I first saw the extra orangey glow. The best rumor was that the fire department had been called by somebody before anybody in the building had called. The implication was somebody called in a fire and then started the fire. For 40 years plus, I have been unable to find the truth the fire, doing superficial but ultimately not serious damage, did not make the New York newspapers. Hell, that year I took a subway to work in the morning and there was a guy sprawled over three seats. And when I went home that night, I happened to get on the exact same train car and there was the exact same guy sprawled over the exact same three seats because he was dead. And that didn't make the New York newspapers of 1983 either. We old-timey New Yorkers, we lived on the edge, baby. All I know is that within weeks, a doorman was hired. His name was Gene, and he had a strong Irish accent, and he was still there as of 2002. And then the building suddenly went co-op. All of us renters were suddenly offered the chance to buy our apartments. But I didn't want to take out a loan, and I expected to be moving to Boston in the near future, and I kept thinking about that Molotov cocktail, so I turned down that apartment at the price of... Are you lying down? $36,500. Turned it down. Because, yeah, there was the fire and the loan and Boston. But ultimately, I turned it down even just to keep as a, a storage unit. I turned that apartment down because when it comes to investments, I'm a moron. I've done all the damage I can do here. That is not meant literally, obviously. Thank you for listening. If you're not following or subscribing to the podcast, please do so. 
Don't make me come over there with a, you know. Here are the credits. Most of the music, including our theme from Beethoven's Ninth, was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. They are the Countdown Musical Directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, which was written by Mitch Warren Davis and which appears courtesy of ESPN Incorporated. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was John Dean. Everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's countdown for this, the 728th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. New edition tomorrow. Until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote 